I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Your Tampa Bay Rays are back to 500. Man, what a deal that they've accomplished here. They fly all the way to the West Coast after Sunday's afternoon game. They play an afternoon game on Memorial Day in Oakland, winning one to nothing in 13 innings. We're going to break down how the Rays have battled back this season, and discuss the trade of Denard Spann and Alex Colomay that was supposed to weaken them, but it hasn't so far. And a special treat for you guys tonight if you're a Bucs fan. George Warhop has been the Bucs offensive coordinator, or I'm sorry, offensive line coach and run game coordinator for like the last five years. This is his fifth season. And he's a colorful guy. He shoots it straight. The Bucs offensive line was a big story again uh, last year, of course. Did not perform very well. Now they've added Ryan Jensen at center. They've moved Ali Marpet back to guard. We're going to play a roundtable that we had with George Warhop and with the Bucks beat writers and give you guys a chance to have all your questions answered about what went wrong last season and what to expect in 2018. George Warhop coming up in just a minute. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud with the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Verstick. Hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend, and remember to take time to think about our troops and those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. But before we get started, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value, and as a listener to this podcast, you get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Well, Steve, I mentioned the Rays. They win one to nothing uh, over the A's in 13 innings in Oakland, and that's hard to do as a road team to win in extra innings. It's a, really a, a confidence builder when you can do it. They ended up uh, in this game, which was a, a bit of a pitcher's duel to say the least, but uh, the Rays went six scoreless innings, um, I think, not just scoreless innings, but six innings in the game without a hit from like the last out in the sixth until two outs in the 13th. But start with a great performance by Chris Archer. He goes six without allowing a run. It was pulled. I, I'm a little curious he was pulled after less than 90 pitches. Yeah, 88, 88 pitches, pitches, I believe it was. Yeah, I was a little curious why he was pulled so soon, too. And a 0-0 zero, zero so game. Sure. Right, exactly. And and he was throwing pretty well. Um, you know, that's that's pretty efficient for him. I mean, generally he'll go six and maybe get well into the hundreds, but did not do that. And yet the bullpen locked it down. I mean, a great escape out of a jam by Matt Andrees, who came on with two on and nobody out in the ninth inning. Um, just a great play by Jesus Sucre, the catcher, who had a tremendous game. He ends up forcing a guy on a bunt, forces a runner at third, then a pop-up and, and a strikeout, and they get out of that inning. Johnny Venters ends up with his first save since 2011, but it was really, um, you know, it was weird. They're, they're, they're cruising along, they're not getting any hits, and all of a sudden they rally for a run with, uh, you know, with three singles in a row. It was Johnny Field gets a base hit off off the glove of the shortstop, then Sucre. Uh, and then the game winner by the Malik's effect, <laughs> who wasn't even supposed to be in the leadoff spot, be, except for kind of a freaky thing that happened before the game with Brad Miller. 
Yeah, he was hit in the eye while taking some balls in the batting cage before the game. He was supposed to be at first base. So with that, Malik's moved up to the top of the order. C.J. Crone uh, went from D.H. to first base, and Christian Arroyo came in to play D.H. Right. And so all that kind of worked out with uh, Malik Smith leading off. He comes up in a big situation and and delivers the the big knock. And, um, you know, Inventors was great getting the last out, which I, I think this guy, whatever the expectations were for him, he's starting to exceed them. He has not had a save since 2011, I want to say. That's correct. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, he, he looks like a guy that's not only – you know, going to be able to get left-handers out. You may see him eventually in a closer's role. I mean, that, that was his his. Well, career, I think the Rays are looking for one. So, yeah, for sure to get that those last three outs. So, yeah, I mean, and, and the reason they're looking for one, and we can get into the trade a little bit here. We'll talk more about the Rays and just where they're at because now they're they're five hundred again, twenty six and twenty six. It's the first time say. they have not been above five. They've only been above five hundred once this season. That was after the first that was game. Opening they were day, one right? yeah. They got Blake Snell, their best pitcher on the mound today in Oakland or tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, no better chance than to get over 500 since the first time since May or March 28th, 29th, whatever that was. Right. And yet, you know, you look at this team, and, and again, they're, you know, it's the sum of their parts because um, these guys threw some, some, you know, some made some great plays in the field as well. Uh, double plays when they were in the shift. Um, you know, just uh, again, Sucre's throw. He also threw a runner out at second base, and Wasn't you know that close. That I mean, he drilled him. No, I mean, it was he, yeah, the guy he barely it. started a slide, and it was already out. <laughs> no, so he had a great game blocking the ball behind home plate. I mean, he was just defensively. You know, when you when you're solid up the middle like that, and uh, those you know the infield. I mean, they have guys that can play so many different positions: shortstop, second, third. Um, it really is an interchangeable group of players some of them can even play the outfield so uh, if you can imagine a team full of Ben Zobrists this is what it would look like <laughs> I guess um, you know it's because this is sort of what they do they're all they're all kind of like these Ginzu knives um, or Swiss Army knives or whatever that can do anything anything you need them to do but I'm impressed with them but so uh, speaking about the trade though because this is something that's going to you know when I'm watching this game and they bring in Matt Andres I'm thinking yeah you know, these are the spots where, you know, maybe an Alex Colomay could help you or even locking down the game in the 13th inning, which is hard to do, you know, when you when you win an extra inning game on the road because obviously the home team is going to get the last swings at it. And yet, you know, I mean, initially I think it was easy for people to say, well, here we go. You know, they're, they're tanking. Uh, why would you do it this time of year after you fought so hard to get back to around 500? I mean, it's – you could see it earlier in the year for sure. You could even see it maybe later when you have your your June or July call-ups or whenever some of those guys from the minors are going to have a chance to come up here and play. But Denard Spann was you know tied for the team lead in RBIs with 28. Great clubhouse guy. Helped you in the outfield. Could DH. And, and then your closer. I mean, a guy that's had 40 saves over the last two seasons. So it didn't make sense uh, on the one hand. But then on the other hand, you know, this is kind of where the Rays are right now. I mean, they are trying to secure as many prospects for the future as they can. Uh, they have to sell when there's a market for these guys. I, I mean, most people thought, you know, that Denard Spann, even though he was part of the Longoria deal, wouldn't even be here when the season started. Well, let, let's be and honest. I mean, no one thought Spann or Colomay would be here when the season started. Correct. The offseason was so crazy and that free agents were not being signed. The big teams like Boston and L.A. and New York – we're trying to get under the luxury tax uh, cap mm-hmm. because if you go over that for three years in a row, then you're, uh, anything over is then taxed at 50% instead of 20%. So 
This is the third year of the luxury tax. All those teams were trying to get under there, so the big deals weren't there. And nobody was signing, which meant no one was trading either. Why trade for someone when you could sign them without giving up anything? Sure. So, you know, I, you know, I don't know the tanking part, and I don't believe the Rays are tanking, although I don't think they have – they honestly believe they have a shot to win it all this year. But I don't right. think they're tanking. But I, I think those players they had determined were going to be gone before the season. They couldn't get rid of them. So then they get a call from Seattle who has a bunch of money freed up because Robinson Cano gets suspended for 80 games. That's correct. So now they have some money to play with, and they went out and got it and saved the Rays $9 million in this deal because the Rays sent some money to Seattle to cover some of the contracts. But I think you know I think it was one of these deals where they were planning on getting rid of these players, and when they didn't in the offseason, by the trade deadline, they got a call. The prospects were good enough in return, plus they get to save the money, although I don't think the money was the driving factor in this. But it's a big no. part of it. It's right. definitely a part. But you know, the Rays are really high on a lot of these guys down in Durham right now. And and they mm-hmm. won the championship last year at Durham. Um, they want to see some of these guys come up. And so you have guys sort of in the way. I mean, you know, I expect some more. I expect uh, you know Echeverria to be traded at some point this year so that I Willie agree. Adamas can come mm-hmm. up. Um, yep. But as long as Echeverria is here, you're not going to call up Adamas because you don't want to call him up and let him sit. You want to call him up and play. He's a prized prospect of yours. Right. Yeah, he'll play every day. And then, you know, you have guys like Daniel Robertson, who's been playing a good short second base, Christian Arroyo, um, even in a, in a part-time role, which is hard to do. You know, the, the, the difficult thing, and, and, and this, this proves your point in a sense, is that you have to make room for these guys because one of the hardest things to do is you're playing every day in Durham. You're, you're one of the top prospects. And then when you come up to the majors, if there's no place to play you, now you're in a totally different role trying to learn – how to compete and and hit um, at the major league level when you're only when you're only you know getting a couple at bats a week mm-hmm. that's that is so incredible that's a different job altogether and it's hard really to to break in that way I know a lot of players do but um, when you have a prospect like Arroyo and or you have Jake Bowers I mean those guys you want to see in the lineup every day and I think you will see probably more moves we talked about this before the season that my philosophy was just rip the bandaid off you know. But to you know, you made you made the perfect uh, explanation of what happened in the off season. There just was no market for these guys. Look, I thought they should, um, and probably maybe still will trade Chris Archer before this is all said and done. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not convinced that wouldn't happen at some point. Um, you know, now they had some injuries to some starting pitchers, or maybe it would have happened, but the market wasn't there for him. He's pitched very, very well of late. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think know, I think they're now. looking to move Brad Miller too, so that Jake Bowers can come right. Up. I mean, so you know, you're not going to bring him up until you get rid of a first baseman. You just traded for Crone. You really are high on him. So Miller's yep. the one you'd like to get rid of so that Bauer can come up and play. Exactly. So there's going to be a lot of changes to this team, but what I like about them is that they play – You know, th- look, last year it was all about the long ball, right? Every, I mean, mm-hmm. I think they were one of the top teams in the American League, maybe second in the American League in home runs, and they didn't win anything, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was hard to watch. You know, like as much as we, we because talk it was about, home run you know, or bust. It was home run or exactly. bust. That was all they strike could do. out or home run. That's it. These guys at least move the baseball. They play great defense. That was not. That was a terrible defensive team they had a year ago. They cost themselves games. Um, you know, it was not about run prevention. I can tell you that. Now it is. <laughs> now they're back to playing um, raised baseball. And more than that, I mean, you know, and I, I was listening to the broadcast. We talked about this the other day on the podcast. You know, when when your uh, Doug Wechter was doing TV and he was saying, 
you know, in some lineups you go, you know, you go on the mound and you say, you know, once I get through the first five hitters, I'm not really that concerned about six through nine. Well, that's not the case here because these guys all move the baseball. You know, mm-hmm. there is no easy outs. There are no gimme outs. That's not been the case with the Rays in the past. They've had a lot of a lot of years where you got past four or five, you know, you're not going to get anything out of the bottom half of your lineup. And these guys are able to turn that lineup over. And that's why uh, Malik Smith was able to come up to, to the plate with, with a couple of guys on, even though he was leading off in the game. We saw that with Brad Miller um, on Sunday. You know, he led off with a home run. And then in the third inning, he came up and there were a couple guys on and he doubled them home. So, um, they're able to turn this lineup over, and I think that's much more now. Today, you know, the bats certainly weren't there. I, I think you, you credit, you know, Cahill, the Oakland pitcher, was great with his changeup. Uh, I think he threw eight innings of uh, scoreless baseball. So it was a real pitcher's duel. But, but you, also, you also mentioned, I mean, the Rays flew cross-country and then played a day game. Oh, You know, that's not so easy hard. either. And I've, 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 I've traveled with a team before for a whole season and been through this, and that's not yeah. easy. Uh, when you travel, you know. Granted, they you know they had a day game yesterday, so it wasn't like they came in overnight. But they still got no, out. No, but they got late. in. They got there pretty late on a what a five hour flight to head out west from Tampa. Um, they got in at at twelve thirty our time. Okay, which and that's after playing. You know, that's after going to the ballpark at ten a.m. Mm-hmm. Playing a full game, uh, packing your bags, getting right on a plane, flying, which is not comfortable. Although they fly fairly comfortably. I mean, I'm you know they're not. They have meals. And yeah, they're else. not going through the same TSA that you and I go. No, it's it's a lot easier for them. But still, you're still on an airplane for five and a half sure. hours, six hours, and then you know you arrive. You got to adjust to a time zone. It feels like twelve thirty. It's really nine thirty at night Pacific time. And then then you're at the ballpark again in the afternoon. That's a really and then you play thirteen innings mm-hmm. and have enough in you to to you know weather all that tension and and win a a you know. Uh, an extra inning game on the road, which is, I'm telling you, those are priceless. Mm-hmm. Very hard. I, to I will do. say it's, so, it's deflating to a home team to lose an extra oh. inning game. The visiting team's kind of like, where else are we going to go? I mean, right. they can go out <laughs> and right. do stuff, but I mean, you know, you're not going home afterwards. You're going back to a hotel or you're out to eat or whatever. So you're like, hey, we, sure, you know, you, you know. But the home team, when you lose a long extra inning game, like 13 innings, you played at what four extra innings. Um, yeah, that's deflating for a home team. It can carry over another day or two. And, and the visiting team. You know your attitude, kind of, when you go to extra innings. Where else I'm gonna? Where else am I gonna go? Um, now, right. getaway day is a whole different story. That's different. But this was not getaway day. So, no, they were, they were in it, and uh, you know, it's it, with the last at bat of the home team. It's just difficult to do. So, so the Rays are back to 500, and I'm telling you, uh, if Blake Snell can get them, push them over it, and mm-hmm. you you put together some kind of a winning streak on this road trip. Now they go to Seattle. After and you get Nathan Avaldi back on Wednesday against Oakland, so you're you know right. you're getting your now your number three starter that you had slotted in at the beginning of the year. He's coming back right. and pitching for the first time, uh, mm-hmm. so you hope to get a boost from that for your team. Um, granted, he may not go very long the first outing, but you know you're hoping as this progresses. Now you've got your top three starters back, and then when Faria gets healthy, there's your top four. Right. You know they've yeah, been doing this for the last the couple of weeks time. with just their two of their starters from the beginning of the year, Snell and Archer. Yeah. Look, if they're able to maintain this, and I don't, I don't, I'm not under no illusion. I mean, they're not going to run down the Yankees and and the Red Sox. We know that, but the wild card is. is well, that's if you that's stay the part a, of the trade is that. Look, they've got Boston and New York in their division. They're not catching those two. No. So you're playing for the second wild card this year. Mm-hmm. So if you're the Rays and you're high on a lot of these young players, and they are, I can you know whether this is the right thing to do is up for debate. But 
you've got all these young players you're high on. You want to get them experience in the big leagues. Why not, if you're offered, if you're getting a good enough deal back for certain players that clears up that, that young, the, 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 the young roster to come up, why not make the move? And if you compete for the wild card this year, if you make it, if you don't, you're getting them a lot of experience to help build for 19, 20, 21, et cetera. They got to get the experience sometime if this is going to be your future. So if you can make the deals now and you're getting good enough prospects or return back, whatever that is, even financially, whatever, then mm-hmm. it makes sense for them to make these deals, especially when some of these deals you expected them to have made in the offseason, they just couldn't. Right. And as far as the money goes and things like that, uh, look, this is a small market team, but wouldn't you rather be in position in a couple years uh, if and when they're able to get a new stadium deal with these young players, you know, started hitting stride in the major leagues to then be in a position um, financially to go after free agents and add for you key pieces to what you hope then is a young core of players. So, well, Stu Sturmer, um, Stu Sturmer gets criticized a lot on this team for this team and the way he runs it. And some of it's justified, some isn't, and, and your opinion can be whatever it is. But remember last year when they were in it at the trade deadline, how much salary did they add for the second half of the season? Oh, yeah. It's not It's not that he has not spent any money. Now, you can criticize how he spent it and, and the decisions they've made in that, and those are fair game, and some have worked, some haven't. But because they're, they save some money in this deal and everyone, this is tanking, this is them, this, it doesn't mean they're not going to reinvest it at some point. I mean, if, if, if they've got, whether it's Alvarado they think can close or now Johnny Venters or maybe they're moving Romo out of the opener to the closer and they were able to get right. a good enough return back and now you know Johnny Field gets to play a little more in the outfield and he's been very good so far and they can call up another guy uh, as Denard Spann's not there anymore. This, long term, it may be the best thing. Short term, it may or may not work. It may or may not help this team. We'll see. Time will tell on that. But long term, these are probably good moves overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to have to figure out who's going to get, you know, if you're the Rays, who's going to get the last three outs, and those are special outs, right? Um, well, you know, so Ryan far Stanley. it's been a lot of closer. I mean, Austin Pruitt got, what, the last five and a third. Got the, yeah, Sunday. well, that, yeah. If you pitch backwards, I mean, you can do they, that. They started Romo, and you expected Pruitt to come in next. Well, they brought in Vidal Nuno to pitch three innings right. after Romo only got a, one out, and then Pruitt finished the game after there. So, I mean, there's no reason, like I said, whether this opener is a good thing, a bad thing, works or doesn't, time will tell, and they're definitely committed to it, at least as long as they've got several starters on the disabled list and don't have enough starters to go in their mind. But there's no reason you can't just reverse the game and have the starter close it, essentially, which is what they did with Austin Pruitt, and it worked. Now, it doesn't always work. and you know, Yeah, and you're not going to do that when Archer and no, Snell no, and, no, but and when you have the other you know, guys. Faria gets back. But yeah. the other guys, when you have the bullpen day, you're going to pitch backwards. Uh, I, I just think that you know they don't have a proven guy right now that's used to getting Lester. I mean, Ryan Stenick tried to do it. They had to get him out of there. And, and you know, that's, that's where, you know, I think that Johnny Venters or somebody like that, you know, could prove to be just a godsend for them down the stretch if they mm-hmm. do find a guy. Who can pitch? Well, and they brought Jamie and Schultz up. Um, sure, you know. Schultz is going to get a chance to pitch some. He didn't hasn't yet, but I mean, remember, um, Alex Alex Colome was a extremely good closer for this team, one of the best in Rays history. Um, you could make an argument, maybe the best. Although, I mean, obviously Fernando Rodney had the best season ever, maybe the best ever season for a closer. Period. When he was here, but yeah, remember Colome was a starter coming up. He was not mm-hmm. a reliever coming up. And he was struggling right. as a starter and didn't work, and they moved him to the pen, and then he developed into a closer. So who knows who's going to develop into a closer? And this is an opportunity for a lot of guys in that pen right now. And they've always been able to come up with those guys, you know, no matter what, they seem to be able to find them. And, and I mean, Colome, um, you know, even though he's had 
40 something saves. The the irony is is that in Seattle he's not going to be the closer. No. And I think he's probably not happy about that. I mean from a, just a financial standpoint, from a pride, you know, here's a guy with a couple of 40 save seasons it's now suddenly going to be setting up somebody. So Well, that can hurt um, you financially too when a contract yeah, comes absolutely. up in arbitration absolutely. and all that. Absolutely. No doubt. I mean that closer's role is is what was what gets you paid. Um, but you know, and then as far as span goes, I mean, he's an older player. He's not going to play for for very much longer. I wouldn't think he was batting two sixty. I mean, you can really slice this up and look at it a lot of different ways. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the team what what is good about this baseball team is that they don't let anything stop them. You know, the attitude that they have is they go out there and they grind and they compete and they play defense and the pitching has settled down to be pretty good of late. Um, when especially with with Archer and and, and Snell, um, and you know they give themselves a chance every game. So, I mean, I I again, I, it was a zero zero game. You could say it's boring. Uh, there was some tension in the game, but I I like watching these guys play. I watched thirteen <laughs> innings of this baseball game, and I was sort of intrigued by it. And they put together three hits and win the game one to nothing in thirteen innings and now they're five hundred. So this team, hats feel, off to this Kevin team feels Cash. a lot different than the years past. And we talked about this sure yesterday on the podcast too, that you know, Sunday they went down three nothing in the first inning and you're thinking, you know, in years past that's it, it would have been yep, that, that's a ball game. I mean they'll they'll get yep. a couple hits, maybe they'll get a run or two, but they'll give up several more and that'll be the game. Yep. Well they came back and hit a, you know, Brad Miller hits the home run in the bottom of the first and then in the third inning they were up for six runs and are also leading seven Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To three. You never yep. felt like that would happen in years past. Not saying it never no. would, but... You never felt that way. This team, it, it's kind of, you know, and, and they're not like the Lightning, but, you know, all year with the Lightning, every time they give up a goal or in the first period, you're like, yeah, that's all right. We'll get it back. They are resilient. Resilient is a word that's been used a mm-hmm. lot, and I think it's appropriate. I, I mean, agree. Kevin Cash has used it. We've used it. I think it's true. I think you have guys that battle. You have guys that it matters. These are young guys trying to make their mark in the major leagues. It's important to them. They don't really care about who gets the credit. They play the game the right way. They go out there every day. They're committed to the process, um, and the the way they're built is to play in a lot of close games. And in the beginning of the year, they weren't winning any of them. They they've lost a lot of a lot of one to nothing. Ironically, did you know this? This was the first game they've shut out a team all year. I didn't realize that. Yes, they have. Now not you shut mentioned, out a team I can't. I couldn't year. think of one, but I was stunned by that because they played so many close games, but they had not had a shutout and. They managed to spackle together 13 shutout innings today or yesterday. It's it's incredible. Um, so, but they, you know, they win one to nothing in 13. And, uh, again, Blake Snell will be on the mound. We'll see what the Rays are able to do with this road trip. But if they're able to eke their way over 500, you hang around for a while. You get the young guys up in uh, late June or middle of June or something like that and see what you got. So pretty interesting so far. Uh, I mentioned the uh, – the Bucks have given us some access to some of their coaches over the recent uh, couple of days and weeks. And one of the guys that is fascinating to me is George Warhop. He's been here five years. 
in an NFL team, there are certain coaches that are more important than others. Hate to say it, it's true. Um, you know, typically one of the most important coaches on your football team is your offensive line coach. So much happens, um, obviously, up front. That's where you win games and protecting the quarterback. If you think about what they have to do in the passing game and especially the run game, um, that's so important, you know, for those five guys up front. And it takes more than five, obviously. You're usually going to draft about seven or eight offensive linemen. But we know what happened last year. And, and look, a lot of this might fall on the shoulders of Doug Martin, who is no longer here. He's now with the Raiders. And John Gruden, um, really throughout the last four years, he failed to rush for even 500 yards. But the offensive line play was not good, to say the least. And it was way below what they expected. So what have they done? They went out and they get Ryan Jensen from Baltimore, a center. And you think, well, that doesn't make much sense because you think they were committed to Ali Marpet uh, to be a center. And Ali, you know, did okay. I mean, it was his first year as a center, so I'm sure he made plenty of mistakes. But the idea is to get the best five guys on the field. Jensen was available. Now Marpet is going to move to left tackle. So there's one topic that was discussed. A lot of people aren't really sold on Donovan Smith as a left tackle. You're going to hear Warhop talk about him and how he differs with that opinion, and not by a little, but by a whole lot. And then what it was that was missing from this group. You know, how did they take a step back? What what was that key ingredient they're looking to recapture? Um, and just was what was Warhop's response to the way things went in 2017? You still have questions about who's going to be healthy. DeMar Dotson is out. J.R. Sweezy's coming back. So we talked a lot of offensive line stuff with George Warhop, and here's our interview with him, a roundtable with the beat writers. So how are you different with Orion Jensen and Nell Marpet moving back to guard? How are we different? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think uh, when you looked at free agency and we wanted to add a guy, mm -hmm. uh, we felt like Ryan was one of the better guys we could add. Uh, we weren't looking to move Alley from center, but because of the fit we, and what Alley's flexibility allowed us to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think we've improved ourselves. We've added another good football player, and we've had a good football player that played center and right guard who's flexible enough for us to play him at left guard. So I think it helps us add a good player and gives us flexibility with the guys up front. What was the thinking to move Alley to left guard when you've seen what he could do at right guard and he did it at a pretty good level? Uh, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, we have JR, who's our right guard. Uh, um, so until all that plays out, that's where he was going to go. How's the danger of you know, Alley learning three, three positions in three or four years? No, you're you're no, basically starting off as a novice again, so to speak. No, because when you play center, you got to play both right and left guard, right? If I'm a center, if I got a shade on my right, I'm a right guard. If I got a shade on my left, I'm a left guard. So really, the transition for him to go from center to left guard is really easy, versus flipping from right guard to left guard. And Ali is smart, okay? And he's, he takes it. He's really, you know, takes it. It's really important for him. He takes it personal for him to do well. So, uh, of all the guys. No matter where we're moving him from, he'd be the one I'd have the least concerns about. Where's J.R. Sweezy at in terms of his rehab? All I know is he's busting his tail. All right. Uh, in terms of that, you got to talk to Bobby as to where he is. I know he works his tail off on it, though. Coach, the, the last month, five weeks of the year, the run game looked pretty darn good. Uh, the, the run blocking looked better, and <laughs> and you had a, you had a lot of starters down at, at that time. What what shows up on film there for uh, you? For you? Last year, uh, to be honest, I was disappointed in how we ran the ball. Uh, I was disappointed in our mental approach to how we were going to run the ball. 
Um, I thought really the last eight games, I think when we started with the Jets, we started to turn the corner in terms of mentality and how we want to go about our business. And I thought that helped us. Uh, so we just had to shake it up a little bit. And then it doesn't matter who plays. Okay, It really doesn't matter who's playing. It's just a matter of how you want to go about playing. What kind of mentality were you talking about? More finish, uh, more get on your guide, more sustain, uh, give our backs a better chance. Mm. So it was just a little bit more grind. Is that also an attitude thing as well? I mean, kind of throughout the offseason, we heard you know, little rumblings about you know, wanting more you know, spit and vinegar. I'm going to paraphrase that a little bit, but spit and vinegar <laughs> type mentality, maulers, you know, the Ryan Jensen type of guys that, you know, <laughs> that knock over Haloti Nada, you know, in the first snap of, of, of camp when he was a rookie. That type of guy. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that story. You got to tell me that one when we get done. <laughs> because if he did that, I'm really impressed. Because all you know is I'm not just a man, he's a real man. But. Uh, we'll to see what happens with him for the day of that. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, listen, you, you can slice and dice that any way you want to about piss and vinegar and guys that chew glass and all that. It comes down to this, okay? Either you're going to be competitive or you're not. That's it. Uh, there's all kinds of guys, whether you're playing O-line, D-line, receiver, running back, that play the game, okay? And it's, it comes down to, am I going to be a competitive guy or not? And if you're not going to be competitive, you're not going to survive. And so we, didn't need, we needed to be more competitive in our finish in the run game. So <laughs> when we're adding guys, okay, we're, we were using the same criteria. Can they play, number one? Okay, are they better than the guys we have? Number two, can they compete with the guys we have? Number three, and then they have the characteristics we're looking for. All right, and so all the guys we added are checking most of those boxes. There's nobody we've added that checks every box, but they check most of them. How surprising were you? You said over the last eight games it, it was more to your liking, but to start the year, you've got guys that I would think in, in Marpet and Jarrah Sweezy and DeMar Dotson have that mentality to right. begin with. No, we, we didn't. We may have it, but we weren't playing with it. Okay. Right, so it's just you've got to get do it. it. you got to get it where you want it. Coach, how, how's Donovan's trajectory over, over three years, and do you think um, there's a decent chance he, he could take that next step uh, and, uh, and be considered elite? I have no doubt in that. Uh, I think you look at Donovan, number one, okay, first of all, you evaluate him compared to his draft class. I don't think I'd take anybody in his draft class over him. Nobody, all right, in terms of a tackle. Uh, then we start evaluating him with other left tackles in the league. I have to really think about it, but I can't count on one hand how many guys I would like to have replace him. Okay, the next thing, he's a young player who's never missed a start. Never missed a start. Okay, I think he's missed 25 or 28 snaps when he was out the second half of the New Orleans game. Okay, the next game, they didn't think he was going to play. He, after Tuesday, he says, there's no way I'm missing that game. How are you going to trade out that kind of mentality? Now, can he play better? Yeah. Does he have elite ability? Yeah. Has he played to that? On a consistent basis, no. So that's my job to get him to that level consistently. I'm not trading him out. You guys got something here that's special, okay, in terms of his mentality and what he wants to be and how he goes about his business. So I would be in no hurry to try to find somebody else to replace him. Coach, you've developed a lot of uh, rookie offensive linemen since you got here. Where does Alex Tampa come in as far as how, how green is he? Or, or where does is, where is he rank in the rookies you've had? <laughs> He's a rookie. That's where he ranks. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, Alex is fortunate in one regard. Uh, he was, he's been working out with a Charles Bentley. Uh, so, you know, his foundation is a little bit better than most. But now he's a rookie. He's a young guy, you know, played at Division II school. Um, he's got a long ways to go. Was a tackle in college. We're moving him to guard. 
uh, teaching him how to play center. So we'll see how he rolls. Like I said before, we added him. He checks most of the boxes. Uh, he's got to learn how to play. Then he's got to learn how to compete with the rest of the guys. And we'll see how it goes from there. Were you in Cleveland when Bentley was there? No, uh, he was doing media when I was there. He, he had gotten hurt maybe two years, three years prior to me getting there. Uh, I think he does a good job, though, in his business and how he trains old linemen, especially young ones. You guys haven't been able to line up offense versus defense yet because of the CBA, but what has it been like from your vantage point seeing all those new additions along the defensive line? I don't see them. <laughs> right now, did you, but did you watch some of those guys though on tape, or what uh, were your thoughts only, about bringing some of those guys the in? The only guy that I really saw was Vita. Um, there's, there were several offensive linemen okay, in the Pac-12 that were coming out. So if you know there's a good defensive lineman, you try to watch that tape. I'll be honest now, I was excited when we drafted him because uh, that dude in college was dictating the game. Uh, I just remember one play, I think it was against Washington State. Uh, they threw a screen to the receiver to the right, okay, and then he's down the field, and you see this big body about 30 yards downfield making the play, and it was him. I'm like, he's three whatever doing that. That's really impressive. So for me watching him play, uh, I was really ecstatic about us drafting him. When was the last time you saw a defensive lineman that had that type of an impact on a game? You know, where, where, where you're really having, I mean, you're having to center your whole game plan around him. Uh, I don't ever give him that much credit, number one. <laughs> but uh, it's been a while. I, I can't think of one that stood out that much on college tape that you looked at and you went, holy cow, this dude is really impressive. And it's every game. It's not just one game. He did that in the UCLA, in the UCLA game. And so you watch any game that he was in, he was, he was dictating the game. In a perfect world, is Beninok a guard or a tackle? I mean, I know you can do both. Uh, he's wherever we need him. <laughs> uh, one thing about Caleb, he has that ability. Yeah. Uh, he's got the height, the range to play both spots. Uh, you talk about a guy with the mentality you like, uh, he's a tough, he's tough, he'll, he'll finish. Uh, next to Donovan, he's our most explosive guy. People don't know that. I mean, he's got unbelievable snap in his body. So uh, I'm excited about him. Uh, so wherever we need him, he'll go, and he'll, I think he'll function well. Last year, starting those last six games, I think it was a real blessing for him. Yeah. You look at, when you look at Kappa's tape uh, from college, I mean, he certainly is dominant right at, at that level for sure. Finishing guys off. Do you almost have to worry about some of the holding calls? I mean, he was literally throwing some guys down. You know, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll learn that. I mean, that's just technique stuff. Yeah, that's technique stuff, and you don't want to do stuff that's going to hurt your team. At yeah. the end of the day, you don't want to cost your team yards. You don't want to cost your teams a big play. You know, and one thing is, you guys talked to Alex, correct? You guys, mm -hmm. he's, yeah. he's, yeah. a, he's a super sharp kid now, and so he understands it's, it's a team game, and he's not going to do something to put our team in jeopardy. I talked to a, a friend of the season. I think the new CBA, me personally, I think it, it's a detriment to offensive linemen and probably defensive linemen as well. I don't know about quarterbacks and receivers and the rest of them, but in terms of developing players, it, it makes it harder on us to develop a player because, um, you know, this time of year, the only person they can work against is myself and Butch. You can't work against another big body. So I think that's hard. I think that's hard for, to get a young guy developed faster, and I think it's hard on old guys like me and Butch having to hold the bags and get the crap beat out of them. So <laughs> I prefer the old rules where they could hold the bags and get the crap beat out of them. But, yeah, I, I do think it's a, it's a negative for the big guys. Do you think it's a hindrance? You know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think it's a hindrance for us. Again, I, I like Leonard. I think Leonard's come a long way. Um, uh, he's right now, you know, he's doing a lot out there at right tackle, and, We'll see how that goes. Um, but again, I, I have zero complaints about him. But Leonard understands every year he's got to compete to make our team. Uh, there's all the guys. 
There's other guys around that want to make it, and if he's going to be the third tackle or whatever it is, he's going to have to earn it. So. Your, your next challenger there, would that be Seaton? Who else would be the, the guys pushing him? Uh, you got Seaton. Uh, you got Cole Gardner. Uh, I think he, he's a quality young guy. Uh, the kid, uh, Cole Boozer, we just added, is another athletic guy. I mean, so we're adding guys all the time. Any, any guy that really we bring in as a free agent, hopefully the intent is uh, that they compete with the guys we have. Now, we don't want to bring guys in just to have a body in training camp. I know Ben Anak can go inside and outside. Right. Would he be a candidate to challenge for the swing tackle role, or is he a guy that you really want that he can kind of morph between a guard and, and tackle? Yeah, I, th I think Caleb can do whatever we need. I think if it's down the road, we need Caleb to play right tackle. I think Caleb can do that. But right now, Caleb's just looking at right guard. Only guy we, we didn't mention was Dot, and I know he has a knee injury. But was that by far his best year since he's been since you've been here? Oh, uh, I last thought year? so, especially from a protection standpoint. Right. Uh, I thought he was phenomenal, uh, phenomenal. Um, and he's he he was engaged, and uh, and Dot's always engaged, but really engaged in terms of position and hands and finish and. Uh, He's an unbelievable kid now. And, and you talk about a great man. <laughs> I can't speak highly enough about the man that Dot is. Generous, huge heart, uh, just a marvelous individual. Coach, how, how much did last year take Lee? Uh, are, are you over at the disappointment? No, uh, I'm not. I'm still pissed off about <laughs> last year. I mean, especially fresh. coming off yeah. nine and seven. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know. To be honest with you, sometimes you need those scars to be bleeding for a long time. So I'm still rather pissed. If you bring it up, you'll start to see it. So. <laughs> <laughs> next subject, next subject. But you look like you're getting ready to go fishing. You look like you're kind of relaxed in a, in a good, oh, in a good yeah. place. I'm in a good place, yeah. But still, last Until year, you came last here, year was hard. Was. No, I mean, I, actually, you guys, I, mean, I enjoy talking to you guys. It's all the front when I tell you the other stuff. So, <laughs> but uh, no, I, last year, you know, think about when you go through a season like last year, this is me personally, you can't forget it. You can't forget the lessons that you should learn from that because if you don't, you're going to repeat them again. And so there's some things that we got to come out of it in my room that we should learn from, how we got to go about our business, how we got to handle ourselves, uh, how we got to challenge each other within the room, how we got to hold each other accountable to get done what we need to get done. So if we don't le let those scars bleed a little bit and you forget about them, you're bound to repeat that same stuff. And we do not want to repeat that. When you were addressed, so do, I mean, what, did, what did you say to them, though, at either the end of the season or the beginning of, of this year? But this year, I'm just saying, think about the things that occurred last year that caused us to go about it this way. And you know, there's always going to be references that will come up that you can use. Hey, this is ongoing. Just remember, this is how it occurred, and this is how we got to handle it. We got to do it differently. So um, you, always, you don't use it as a negative, per se, but you use it as a point of reference. You talked about you being pissed off, but more importantly, are your players as pissed off about it too? I can't answer for them, but I can, you know, do my part to make sure we're aware of what we need to get done. What's uh, his strengths? Uh, I think his strengths are he, he's just an aggressive, powerful player. Um, he's not a finesse guy at all, but whether you're running zone schemes or power schemes, I think he's going to be really effective. Uh, you know, he, again, Ryan, is, he's a non-finesse player. So... And that Joe, Jesus, uh, <laughs> he, he is the epitome of a pro. Uh, I was telling somebody this the other day. Um, you think of all the guys that were in that room with Joe that have all left and have gotten huge contracts with other teams. He's the only one that stayed. He had, a, you know, he was locked in, and I don't know about the trade stuff they're talking about. But he, he. He got those guys that call, those call, those contracts, in my opinion, because he set the standard in that room of how to be a pro, how to go about your business, okay, how you finish your blocks, 
how you take notes, how detailed you got to be. And Alex Mack and Mitchell Schwartz and Sean Laval, John Greco, Jason, Jason Pinkston, all those guys that were with them, you know, other than Jason who got sick, they all left there and are very successful someplace else. You know, I was the coach, okay, but I had an unbelievable player in the room that set the precedent. It makes it real easy on the coach when you got a guy like that. It makes it real easy on the coach when you tell your best player, I want you to do it this way, no problem, coach. I want you to do it that way, no problem, coach. Okay, makes it real easy, zero pushback. So I love that guy. Um, and not because he was a great player, because he's a great man. So some interesting insights there from George Warhop, a uh, big Donovan Smith fan. And for those of you that aren't, <laughs> you certainly got the feeling uh, that he is. What do you call him? One of uh, There might be five left tackles better than Donovan Smith. A lot of people may take issue with that. I really, I really agree with him that Donovan Smith is very, very good and uh, could be great at some point. And, and then just, you know, uh, the flexibility they have with a guy like Ali Marpet, I thought, uh, is interesting as well. So hope you enjoyed that. Some insight from George Warhop on the offensive line. Certainly a lot of things are undecided at this point. We're going to be out at the Bucks. Uh, OTAs will resume, at least for the media portion anyway, on Thursday. So I'll be out at one buck place. Uh, congratulations, by the way, uh, in baseball for USF. USF's baseball team, number two I guess, uh, what is it, Steve? They're number, number two, two seed in the Stetson in the, in region? Yeah, they're in the Stetson region in DeLand. Uh, they're the number two seed. They'll face Oklahoma State on Friday. But the big news yeah. is is uh, Stetson's the number 11 overall seed. They were not placed in the Florida bracket, who's the number one overall seed, or the Florida State bracket, which is the number five overall seed. So not going to Gainesville, Tallahassee. They're going to DeLand to play Stetson or in that region. So they'll play Oklahoma State on Friday. Yeah, that's a break for them and good for USF Baseball to see them back in the NCAA tournament. That's great uh, for them. So uh, Blake Snell, meanwhile, is going to be on the mound for the Rays tonight late against night. the Oakland late A's. Late night, 10 o'clock. Late night with Staying the Rays, up with yeah. the Rays, or as the hashtag is, instead of raise up, it's stay up or stays up. <laughs> stays up with the Rays. So Blake, a chance to get him over 500 for the first time since opening day, and um, that would be quite an accomplishment for them. And then Nathan Ivaldi will go. Uh, the next day. So we'll see his debut uh, for the Rays as he comes off the disabled list. So lots going on this week. Hey, we appreciate you guys joining us. We're here Monday through Friday. Um, we love your feedback. You can always do that on Twitter. You can reach us at SportsDayTB. You certainly can reach me at NFL Stroud on Twitter or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Always love to get your feedback for you to rate and review this podcast. And where can they get that, Steve? You can rate and review it anywhere you get your podcast. So whether you're getting it through iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or SoundCloud, you can subscribe there. If you can't find it, just do a search on those platforms for Sports Day Tampa Bay. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast, also like it or leave comments. Or if you can't do that, tampabay.com slash sports. The latest episodes are always there, too. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, for Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 